Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. If the consumer's in such great shape, as I keep saying, then how the heck can I keep pulling for a rate cut? Why do we need a rate cut? On a day where the Dow gained 50 points, this would be declined 0.05%, NASDAQ dipped 0.36%. I think this is an important question, especially given the Fed's yearly Jackson Hole confab that's getting wall-to-wall coverage both today and tomorrow on our network. As the consumer, well, let's just say, what do we know about the consumer? Consumer shops at watch, which is my acronym for Walmart, Amazon, Target, Costco, and Home Depot. What do we know about the consumer at these stores? Doing quite well. We know the unemployment rate's at its lowest level in 40 years. So why in the world is President Trump trying to hector the Fed into cutting interest rates? And why do I believe in the president? Because it's not that simple, people. As I explained last night, we've got two economic worldviews colliding here. You look at these big retailers, and it seems like business is booming. You look at what's happening in the rest of the world in the bond market, and it seems like we're headed into a recession. I think the former worldview is more accurate. I think it's smarter, more intelligent, and more rigorous than to say the latter. But there is some truth to the slowdown thesis. So on the eve of the big Fed Jackson Hole powwow, the bear case deserves a very good hearing. First, let's take the obvious. What we should do is use the words of the, um, use the, words of the chosen one, the king of Israel, also known as President Trump. He said point blank, we'll have to take some pain in the trade war. The house of pain. If we want to get China to change its unfair practices. The economy may be in good shape now, but if we keep getting more and more tariffs, it could deteriorate. In that case, the Fed needs to cut rates as insurance, bringing our short-term interest rates closer to the rest of the world. It seems pretty reasonable to me. Why are they disagreeing with me? Trump stock. Why are they saying against this? They know nothing. They know nothing. They know nothing. In other words, they think that I just like it because I want the stock market to go up, and I'm worried that they don't understand things. We know that China is slowing, right? That's important. And while that's good for us in terms of winning the trade war, it's terrible for the global economy. When you adjust for inflation, these numbers we're seeing from China, I think they're downright alarming. The tariffs are devastating them, and that devastation is spreading to their other trading partners, especially Europe. Speaking of Europe, the U.K. seems to be in big trouble, but we don't talk about it enough. Hard to imagine how they avoid going into a nasty recession if they can't take a hard Brexit off the table. We got some positive chatter about the negotiations today, but I, these issues just seem intractable to me. And it's not just Brexit. The German economy is shrinking. They've got negative interest rates. People are literally paying the German government to take their money. But because they're so in love with austerity, they refuse to take advantage of the situation. French economy is barely growing. The eurozone growth as a whole was up just 0.2% in the last quarter, if you can call that growth. When you look at the European bond markets, they're screaming recession, and I actually believe that. Of course, this is all happening overseas. Can we shrug off this worldwide weakness? 
I wouldn't bet on it if I were the Fed. A year ago, we had synchronized global growth. Now we have a global slowdown where the United States seems to be the rare exception. The Fed should make sure it stays that way. Sure, we had the lowest jobless rate since 1969, but you know what? I'm old enough to remember that we had a recession in 1969. The problem with the labor market is that it will look good right up until the moment it gets very, very bad. What about watch, though? I mean, doesn't watch represent the country's spend? Well, while these big retailers are doing great, they're crushing their less agile competitors. They can't afford the technology. They can't eat the uh, tariffs like these guys did. It could be a lot of layoffs coming from the ailing department stores and from smaller, less capitalized businesses. They can't handle the tariffs on Chinese goods. And you know what they do? They have to close their doors. Then there's Boeing, a company that's large enough to uh, affect our gross domestic product. Some people say as much as a half a percent. Uh, all by itself, if the 737 MAX assembly line gets shut down because of these accidents, that could shave half a percentage point of our GDP, according to the work I've done. Housing should get stronger now that mortgage rates have plummeted back to earth. But when I listened to that Toll Brothers luxury home builder call the other day, I wasn't exactly reassured, frankly. Maybe people are going to Home Depot to renovate their existing homes, not to fix up new ones. The latest housing starts numbers, frankly, anemic. Then there are all those aggregate indicators that I follow because I'm a geek. Uh, Lumber down 50% year over year. Natural gas is so cheap you have to wonder if there's a slowdown in manufacturing and not just a surfeit of the stuff. By the way, they're giving that stuff up too. Uh, They just give it away or they burn it. Car loads per train are down. Liner board, that is the the kind of thing that you uh, get at Amazon packaging. Uh, Chemicals, they're falling. Freight costs are going down big. There isn't a commodity I follow that's going up in price unless you count gold. Some of that's because the auto market's in rough shape and lots of the stuff goes into cars. So maybe we can keep chugging along here, aided by low long-term interest rates, courtesy of the weakness in the EU. Maybe our economy will be just fine, but maybe it won't. And if you're the Federal Reserve, do you really want to take that chance? One reason we're in this position is that the Fed tightened too aggressively late last year. Really stupid move. Given all the pessimism and fear that the president errant tweets and still, it makes a ton of sense for J-PAL to give the economy some leeway here. here otherwise, here I am. And this is what I'm going to be saying. They know nothing. They know nothing. I'll, I will bring that back. I will. I know it's hard for some of the more hidebound Fed governors to believe that you should ever lower rates when the consumers flush. But there's a lot more to the economy than consumer spending. I also feel like there are plenty of people in the open market committee who simply don't get the whole new economy. They don't understand how deflationary all this technology that we talk about all the time on the show really is. The vast majority of companies I speak to are using the cloud to keep their costs down. The gig economy is usually deflationary. As robust as the big retailers may be, much of their strength comes at the back of mom and pop companies that can't make it and mall stores that are fighting for their lives. The numbers from L Brands, for instance, which owns Victoria's Secret, they were simply awful. I can't imagine they'll be able to keep doing the same thing. Yes, Macy's does have a similar problem, although they're doing they're frankly doing better than L Brands. Look, you could easily argue that there's enough good here to offset the bad. Honestly, I'm not going to disagree with that. But I've done a ton of work on the trade war itself. I'm possessed by understanding where we are. And I think it would be nuts to get your hopes up about a deal anytime soon. The U.S. and China will keep trading body blows. So far, we've gotten through it with relatively little pain. 
Now, though, Trump is ready to ratchet things up again, and it would be foolish to believe there will be no impact when he's telling you there will be the bottom line here. When you put it all together, I think the Fed has more than enough reason to take preemptive action here and cut interest rates, maybe even aggressively, even if they've never been preemptively positive before. But hey, they were willing to be preemptively negative a year ago. Why not try something a little more constructive, Jay? How about Steve in South Dakota, please? Steve. Hey, Jimbo. Uh, I have a question regarding Molson Coors. Uh, the stock is actually trading lower than it's traded in years. Um, it seems like a lot of the problem right now is, I mean, I love Blue Moon Coors, but they don't really have the hard sells, which are very popular. Um, they got a new CEO taking over in, I think, a few weeks. Um, he seems very motivated. Do you think being the stock is so cheap right now, it's a good buy? Um, you know what? It's very interesting to mention about the sell, the uh, hard seltzer. I had some of that this weekend, by the way. Uh, yeah, I had some truly. Uh, I have to tell you, I, I kind of liked it. And that uh, Boston beer, they're well ahead of everybody, including Constellation. I would rather have your own Constellation. Uh, that 4.4% yield is not going to help you stop anything in Molson. Constellation's doing better. I think they can write the ship in Canopy. It's going to be hard, but they'll write the ship up. Let's go. Oh, let's stick with South Dakota. What the hell? Let's go to John in South Dakota, please. John. Hey, Jim. How are you? Big booyah to you. Thank you. Hey, you know, the best part of my morning, I get up, I check the pre-market, grab a cup of coffee, try really hard not to wake up my wife and listen to you explain the market. Want to thank you for that. Well, you know, I love that show. I got fabulous partners. Make me look, look good every day. Let's make some money. What's going on? All right. A couple of years ago, I bought Dow DuPont, bought into the story, bought into the synergies, bought into the promises. I'm now sitting here after the split. I'm down 50% in Dow, 25% in DuPont. And I know uh, DuPont is in, the, is in your portfolio. Yep. So my question is, Jim, what do I do? Uh, I think it's too late to sell Dow now because it's got such a big yield. Jim Fitterling's going to be able to turn things around, I believe. 6.66%. I actually went for our Chapel Trust. You can follow along, by the way, if you join the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. Uh, we were talking all this week about buying more DuPont, even though this has been a very difficult and, yes, bad situation. All right. Memo to the Fed. Why not try something new and constructive? I mean, you have more than enough reasons to take preemptive action and cut rates. Give it a try. On Man Money Tonight, is the force still with Salesforce after earnings? I was sitting down with the co-CEO fresh off the report. Then, my cloud primer continues with all the plays I know you want to know about, but too afraid to ask about. And a big data player that's been on our radar screen ever since uh, before it came public. Uh, I tell you the truth, I think it's about to get its act together in a big way, starting with this quarter. Is it still worth considering to buy some? Well, why don't we watch and talk and find out? Stay with me. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ, one place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. 
They change the nature of information-driven customer service. Now, with big acquisitions, is this company changing the nature of how they compete in the cloud? Their earnings always hit the market with significant force. Can Salesforce deliver home gamers significant returns? Listen up. You bet against Salesforce at your own peril. All week, we have been talking about the strength of the cloud cohort, how money is going to flow back into these names now that the bond market-induced panic has subsided. And when it comes to the cloud, Salesforce has always been the best of the best. Like I explained earlier, they pioneered the whole software-as-a-service business model. More importantly, this thing is kind of like the chumbawamba of stocks. It gets knocked down. It gets back up again. You're never going to keep this one down. In the past few months, Salesforce has pulled back from 167 at its highest in April down to 148 as of today's close. Some of it was the market-wide weakness. Some of it may have been related to the company's decision to buy Tableau Software for $15 billion in June. By the way, it's a company we've loved for a very long time and didn't mind them paying up for it. But tonight, Salesforce reported a phenomenal quarter. Company delivered a top and bottom line beat with 22% revenue growth. This is a big company, people. Management gave excellent guidance. They're talking about 31% growth next quarter. 31. No wonder the stock exploded higher in after hours trading. Hey, could it have even more upside? You know what? We're going to take a closer look right now with Keith Block, the co-CEO of Salesforce, to get a better read on the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Block, welcome back to Mad Money. Keith, these are pretty astounding numbers. The one that kind of really blows me away is the free cash flow, which is how I like to value a lot of companies. How are we able to put up a staggeringly better number than what the street was looking for? Well, Jim, it's great to be on your show. We're super excited. Obviously, we had a very, very strong quarter, $4 billion in revenue, uh, up 22%, 23% in constant currency. We've raised our guide for the year to $16.9 billion, 27%. So very, very excited. Great execution, lots of customer success. A lot of this, Jim, is really powered by this wave of digital transformation that we're seeing all over the world. You know, you have a uh, slide in your deck which I think is rather astonishing. People always tell me, Keith, you know what, Jim, you're late on this cloud. It's, it's really, it's done. But you're talking about a staggering number of, of companies that have yet to digitize. Well, as I said, there's a huge wave of digital transformation. You know, a lot of these different technologies are coming together. And, Jim, I have the opportunity and Mark has the opportunity to go around the world and talk to a lot of other, de- of, uh, other CEOs and you know, there's just this huge imperative around digital transformation. And, you know, everybody needs to get closer to the customer. Everybody's trying to improve that customer experience. And that's where Salesforce really brings value to the table. Well, there are so, look, I'm going to just go there. Your uh, Mark isn't here. Mark would have already pointed me to page 16. But there is a, an imperative that you guys have. You're at 16.8% now of, this, of the CRM market. Uh, the other guys have really Oracle, SAP, Adobe, I'll put them, Microsoft. Are they slacking off? Are you taking share? Are you taking some logos? Because their numbers don't look nearly as good. Well, listen, there's a huge TAM for CRM. We're creating that TAM, and we're executing incredibly well. And that's really driven by customer success. Look, there is this thing, the 360-degree view of the customer, and that is all about the walls of sales and service and marketing coming down. And that is what our 360-degree platform is all about. And our customers are looking for that. They're looking for growth strategies. And that's why you see these great results. 
All right, now I know the Tableau data is still in place, so that can't be talked about. A lot of people say, Jim, you know, it's all over. Mark is in uh, Hawaii, he's in Geneva, and uh, you like it, but you don't understand when they make these acquisitions, they spend too much. Isn't this the same rap we heard with Exact Target? Isn't this the same rap we heard with MuleSoft? And how did those deals work out for you? Well, listen, we have been recognized widely as one of the most innovative companies in the world, and that takes two forms. One is obviously organic innovation, and there's been plenty of that in our history. That's why we've been so successful, uh, and our customers keep coming back. But we also have acquisitions, uh, and you're right, we've got a fantastic history of execution, whether it was the exact target acquisition or most recently, a year ago, the MuleSoft acquisition. Those have all been wildly successful for our customers. Now, I think that we – I do want to get a little granular about uh, – about what you're doing for some customers. Uh, there's an outfit. You, you, you have great numbers in Europe. Everyone thinks Europe's dead. Outfit called Unicredit. I know them because they're really the only solvent bank in Italy. What are you doing for them? <laughs> well, I had the opportunity to go to Milan and meet with the CEO of Unicredit, and we're glad to welcome them to the Salesforce family. But they're going through a transformation that every financial services institution is really going through. It's all about improving the customer experience. It's all about reinventing the business model. It's all about transformation in the retail bank. And Unicredit gets it. And, you know, we're thrilled to, to welcome them to the family. And they're doing some of the things that you see, like Jess Daly doing at Barclays Bank or Citibank or many of the other great financial services institutions. It's about digital transformation. It's about bringing companies closer to their customers. And that's what Salesforce is doing. Well, sometimes I see companies that I have treasured over the years. I remember when FedEx came public. FedEx has always been the number one for the customer. Uh, when I saw them as a new logo, I said to myself, well, what else, what were they not doing that they need Salesforce to do? Well, FedEx is a storied brand. It's a 50-year-old company. They revolutionized the package industry. Fred Smith is an iconic visionary CEO. And now they're taking it to the next level through customer experience. And they're leveraging Einstein to have predictions oh. and make a better customer experience around knowledge. So, for example... If you had a challenge in some particular way, and FedEx is high quality, high, high quality, but if there were a challenge, an agent can help you by bringing relevant information recommended by Einstein to drive a better experience. And there are a million use cases of Einstein just like that in many, many industries. Well, I, I've used Einstein. It is rather amazing as a client of yours, and it just it, it is predictive in a way that I've never been able to get before, and before you have to throw 100 darts. There's no more dark throwing with Einstein. It's terrific. Now, let me ask you about something that Mark first put in my head, I have to admit, and my daughters. Impact per share, IPS, what you guys have done lately in order to be able to demonstrate that business is the most important force for change in the world today. Well, Jim, we've been a values-based company for 20 years. We're purpose-built. You know, our values are very important to our culture. Companies actually want to do business with us because of our values. I hear this constantly from other CEOs. They want to know what we're doing about our culture, how our values are driving our business. And, you know, I participate in the BRT, which recently, the Business Roundtable, right. which recently issued a, a letter um, with 200 signatures from the CEOs, uh, led by Jamie Dimon and Alex Gorski, talking about a modern corporation. And shareholders are incredibly important. They will always be wildly important. But the modern corporation is different now. And this is something that Salesforce has been doing for a long time. It's about stakeholders. It's about your employees. It's about your partners and suppliers. It's about the community. It's about the environment. And this is what Salesforce represents. And when we speak to CEOs all over the world, they want to know what our values are all about. And if they're going to bet their business on us, they want to be aligned with those values. 
I see it all the time. It's how you get the best talent. I know you guys do. Uh, Keith, one last thing I need to know. Uh, these numbers would indicate that whatever tariff war is going on, it's not impacting you. Why is that? Why are some industries more immune and some companies more immune? Well, look, what we're seeing all over the world is this wave of digital transformation. And that digital transformation begins and ends with the customer. And we're seeing CEOs invest. They're investing in their future. They're investing in their growth. They're investing in customer experience across all industries, all geographies, all segments. It has never been more important, Jim. And that's why you're seeing this growth. You're seeing this result. And we're just co-innovating and co-creating with these, custom- these companies. And that's why we're having so much success on their behalf. Well, congratulations. These are truly staggering numbers. And I know I can say that I think the acquisition is very exciting because we've had Tableau many times. But I know it's not done, so you can't talk. (laughs) Keith, thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Thanks for having me, Jim. Good to see you. Good to see you. That's that's Keith Bach, co-CEO of Salesforce CRM. Up very big. Why? Great numbers. Stay with Craig. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. If you want to buy individual stocks, buy, 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 you need to know what you own. That is at the core of my philosophy. If you don't want to put in the work to understand how these companies actually make their money, you're better off investing in an index fund. Which brings me to the cloud-based software space. This is one of my favorite secular growth stories, and it's produced some spectacular gains in recent years, but unfortunately... When I see you on the street and they say, well, Jim, what's making, what's got the mojo, what's going up? What are the wide receivers of the stock business? The cloud stocks, they're tough to understand. That's why last night we started a new series of Cloud Primer, where I'm trying to explain all of these companies, and I'm using plain English. And then we're going to put them all together into an ETF that will use you gauge the performance of the industry. We're going to set up the ETF ourselves. And you know what? We don't want all those fees that everybody else gets. We just want to help. Now, we already covered the cloud plays that have reported this earnings season. So tonight we're pivoting to the ones that are still coming up. So let's tick them down because there's some really great ones. The first one, well, the first one you just heard is Kramer Fave Salesforce. Uh, That's a company that practically pretty much pioneered the whole cloud-based software as a service business model. And it's still at the forefront of the industry, still winning gigantic contracts, still digitizing whole swaths of business. As Keith Block, the co-CEO, talked about on his conference call tonight, Salesforce got to start with a customer relationship management platform, helping the clients understand and connect with their own customers. Okay, retention. Over the years, they've expanded into all sorts of areas like marketing, automation, analytics, and software development. At this point, it's become kind of a one-stop shop that tonight's quarter shows, well, the company's pulling away from its competition. Second, there's VMware, which is a major player in what's known as virtualization. This technology is integral to the modern data center. Basically, VMware's platform allows a single physical server to run multiple virtual machines. So uh, multiple users can use the same computer at the same time. 
On top of that, the company acts as a kind of a consultant for businesses that are looking to migrate to the cloud. Once you make that switch, they'll help clients make sure everything's running uh, smoothly and even provide security. They have a great relationship with Amazon. The one problem with VMware is that it's a subsidiary of Dell, not the parent, but the sub. And earlier this month, we learned that the company was being, let's say, uh, encouraged to buy another Dell subsidiary, Pitfall Software. The stock has been slammed since then. And then just look at what happened tonight. VMware reported a strong quarter, a healthy top and bottom line beat. But the stock got clobbered when the company announced that not only are they buying Pivotal, they're also buying Carbon Black. That's a cloud-native security play for $2.1 billion. Me, I like the cloud security space, and I'm going to say buy VMware on week. The stock's come down too much. Third, you got one that was up huge today, Workday, W-D-A-Y, that makes software for human resources management and finance departments. In plain English, Workday lets businesses automate a lot of back office functions related to talent management, to recruiting and financial modeling, and a bunch of additional ancillary areas. They've got a student platform that's used by colleges. The company reports in six days, and for once, it's got a nice setup. That, thanks to a recent market-wide meltdown, Workday pulled back from, dramatically from its highs even though the story hasn't really changed. Look, I'm a big believer in this one, and I think that you can buy Workday right now, although obviously it was up so much today. Maybe it comes off Monday a little bit. Uh, the fourth cloud king you haven't heard of yet, well, probably maybe have. It's Adobe. This is one of the easier names to get your head around. You probably use their document management or creative cloud products. Think Adobe Acrobat or a Photoshop. A few years ago, the company switched to a cloud-based software-as-a-service business model. Lately, they've also been expanding into marketing and analytics in a very big way. If you want to set up a gorgeous website to attract customers, well, you got to have Adobe. I've tried it. Now, these guys probably won't report until mid-September, but their last quarter was truly excellent, even if the guidance was thought to be a little light by some, not me. Over the past month, though, the stock has pulled back from 313 to 287. I don't have a read on the next quarter, but with Adobe trading at 30 times next year's earnings estimates, I think it's a bargain given its phenomenal growth rate and its amazing management. You can buy some here, and then, uh, you know, tomorrow buy some. And if it goes lower, you can buy more. How about the smaller cloud princes? Okay, one that I just, well, it's a Kramer family fave, frankly. It's called Okta. And and this has been one of the hottest stocks on the planet for the last couple of years. Okta calls itself an identity provider. I'm sorry, independent provider of identity for the enterprise. That sounds like a lot of authentic Silicon Valley gibberish in English. What it really means is they will protect everything. uh, They handle your, uh, your login your verification credentials, your usernames, your passwords, your mother's name, maiden name, and so on. They help protect businesses from hackers. I think everyone on Earth right now would like to be protected by Okta. They want their, um, consider it, they protect your passport, okay? Other, Okta reports next Wednesday, and I'm confident they'll deliver yet another great quarter. However, the stock is down, uh, only down 8 bucks from its highs, and therefore it's pretty expensive. As much as I, lo- I love Okta, I am going to recommend waiting for a pullback before you pull the trigger. And I was very sensitive on Twitter. I got a couple of comments uh, just today saying, Jim, you always say wait for a pullback. What's the deal? Why don't you say buy? Well, I'm highlighting companies and they're on the run. And I have to be careful. Second Cloud Prince is uh, Coupa Software is a company that helps other businesses identify cost savings that refer to themselves as Salesforce of of expense management. Their platform gives businesses better visibility into where the payments are going and allows them to have more control of that. 
plus, it lets you automate jobs in your accounts payable department. We won't hear from uh, uh, Coupa until September 3rd. Like Okta's got a fabulous track record. And like Okta, it still hasn't really come down. At these levels, I don't like the risk word, but put on your shopping list. Beyond the cloud royalty, there are a few more names worth considering. Aviva Systems, what a stock. It's got a very special niche, makes software for life sciences industry. Viva helps its clients manage R&D, think records of drug trials. They handle regulatory compliance, and they help manage commercial business, uh, processes. A lot of this data is extremely sensitive, and Viva does a great job keeping it safe. Now, Viva's chart is a thing of beauty. This stock is up nearly 80% for the year. But it's still down about 10% from its highs last month, thanks to the market-wide sell-off. So I think you're okay. You're getting a rare chance, frankly, to buy Viva at a discount. Take it. Then there's Anaplan, which does, is not an, actually an anagram, right, if you have Anaplan Canal. But Anaplan is in the financial planning and analysis business. Nearly every major enterprise will have what's called FP&A group as part of a finance department. They're in charge of forecasting the company's performance in the future. Anaplan gives these guys the tools they need to forecast accurately and do it Quickly enough, great management here, by the way, that people calling the shots can respond in real time. We hear from Anaplan next Tuesday. I hope to talk to them personally. And this is another case where I'm expecting good things. But with the stock up more than 120% for the year, but not that we didn't tell you about that, it might need to cool off. We were behind Anaplan from the get-go. Next, you've got Smartsheet, not talked about on the show. Their platform is like a cross between Microsoft Excel and Google Docs. Basically, people use Smartsheet to keep track of big data sets. But it's not just Excel on steroids. It's also about collaborative project planning. These guys report next month. I think you have to be careful because Smartsheet is only down about 4 bucks from its highs. Finally, Zscaler. This is another cloud-based security software play that we like so much. As more applications move to the cloud, the previous generation of cybersecurity platforms can't really keep up with the volume of data that's being created by these programs, so they can't provide consistent protection. Old-school cybersecurities were designed around an on-premise software. Everybody's working in the same building. Let's build a firewall, right? Zscaler helps secure all your network traffic, no matter where it comes from. They do web security, advanced threat protection, data loss prevention, and they have their own next-generation firewall. All of it delivered 100% on the cloud. Kind of like CrowdStrike. These guys report on September 10th, and thanks to the recent sell-off, the stock has pulled back from 89, from its recent highs, to 72 right now. In part, that's because Zscaler got hit with a negative report from a boutique investment firm. Their channel checks were weaker than expected. I don't buy that. We've been told, I mean, it just it doesn't make sense to me. The old guard in the cybersecurity space that Zscaler is eating their lunch, and I think it's worth buying into the quarter. Buy, 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 buy. Zscaler. The bottom line. I know the cloud stuff can be pretty darn dense. That's why we did this piece. And a lot of you stopped me in the street and told me you like it. These stocks, I know they're sexy. They cannot be ignored. You just have to know what the heck you're buying before you pull the trigger. Once you have that knowledge, you have got my blessing, literally, to bet on the cloud stocks. But please don't bet on the ones that just ran. We don't chase on man money. Horatio in California. Horatio. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. I'm a first-time caller. Okay. My question is, why did Symantec stock not jump in price when a deal was reached uh, that Broadcom would be buying part of Symantec's business? Great question. And a $12 dividend was going to be paid out. But that's a great question, because what happened is, is that Symantec's still going to have a, uh, the, the B2C, we call it, the business consumer business. I don't think people realize how good that business is. I would not let, I would buy Symantec. It's run by Rick Hill. Rick Hill's money. Get your head out of the darn cloud!
but make sure you know what you're buying if you buy any of these stocks. Much more made money yet. Now that the dust has settled in the panic society, it's time to circle back to high growth stocks. I'm talking with the CEO of Talent to see if it's worth taking a closer look. Then, what's going on in the oil patch? I'm telling you why the sector just can't catch up. Right. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Now that the dust has settled and the panic subsided, you know what? It's time. I think it's time to circle back to some of the turbocharged growth stories, like the cloud place. But what you do with the worst houses in the best neighborhood is really the question. In other words, what about the cloud stocks that haven't performed well? at least over the past year. Do you leave them alone or do you give them a closer look? Take Talent. It's a French data integration software play. Well, we've been talking about the white-hot big data space all week. But not all of these stocks are on fire. After roaring higher for most of 2018, Talent peaked at 73 bucks last September, and it's been all downhill ever since. The company issued some lackluster guidance last November, and the stock got crushed. Spent some time in the penalty box. But just when it looked like it was getting its groove back, Talent rolled over again in June and July. However, two weeks ago, the company reported a much better than expected quarter, a substantial top and bottom line beat that sent the stock surging nearly 19% in a single day. So is it time to give this one another chance? Let's check in with Mike Tukin. He's the CEO of Talent to learn more about how his company's doing and where it's headed. Mr. Tukin, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. Okay, so, Mike, we've been profiling a lot of the companies that are doing things that make it so the cloud's more useful and how to be able to beat some other guys to the cloud and do it better. And I thought that because you haven't been on in a year, maybe first tell our viewers where you are and what differentiates you from a lot of the other companies we've been talking about. Because we talk about the cloud all the time. You bet. So the problem we solve is we help companies take advantage of their data. You're talking to a whole bunch of companies in different parts of the cloud world. What we do is we help companies take data that lives in all kinds of different places. It's all different formats, all different systems. It's all inconsistent. It's all dirty and messy. And we bring it together, clean it up, and make it so they can actually start betting their business on it. It's that first mile in the data journey. That's the problem that we solve. Okay, so let's say I have a franchise at Domino's. I've worked really hard. I was a delivery person. I saved up, and then I got my own store. Uh, I want to do a good job. You are uh, a vendor for, uh, for Domino's. You do a great, great job for Domino's. What can I learn from what you do that makes me into a better franchising? So what Domino's does is they look at all of the franchisee performance. And what are the things that drive better um, margins for each one of their franchisees. And they share that information back and say, here are the different marketing campaigns that are going to be most effective. Here are the customers that you should target. Here's how you should go about driving that extra pizza. And that's, that really is for them. They're, they consider themselves a data company that happens to sell pizza. Well, that's interesting because, you know, right now they're, they're kind of in a, a cross current because these uh, delivery companies have uh, gone up against them, uh, principally through, say, Pizza and others. So would they be able to get glean data, which would explain how they can beat the other guy? You know, it's right now the, the delivery battle that, that you're talking about yeah. is absolutely a head-to-head battle with a number of different players. So what, what each of these players is doing is saying, how can they do a better job of identifying who's likely to buy a, a food tonight and how can we serve that need, get that offer in front of them and make it easy for them to purchase? So we're, we're a core part of that system inside of Domino and that absolutely is a data battle 
that's going on between all the different delivery players. Wow, that is a great differential because you no longer can differentiate just by the fact that Domino's delivers and the other guys don't because of the door dashes of the world. They need that kind of thing. Now, you have had what uh, is kind of an uneven uh, series of numbers, but you're also making a difficult transition. And once you get finished that transition, I think your stock's going to fly. So why don't you tell people what's going on now and what will be like a year from now? Because we saw this, for instance, with Adobe, and we picked up 200 points by understanding the transition. Nice. So that's exactly what's going on. We started out as a premise company, and one of the big waves of, of growth for us was working with the premise big data world. And now what's happening is that world is transitioned to the cloud. And so we're transitioning with that. One of the things that we've uh, released so companies can track our progress is what percentage of our new ARR is coming from cloud. Right. And when we first showed that in Q3 last year, it was 14%. And I'd say the market gave it kind of a collective yawn, saying, well, that's not a very big number. And we said, watch this space, because at 14% turned to 25%, turned to 36%. And most recently in Q2, it was 43%. Because that business for us is growing well over 100%. And that really is demonstrating that the opportunity that we have as we become a 100% cloud player. We'll be over 50% uh, cloud in terms of new ARR uh, by the end of this year. Yeah, but and people should know at home that once they do cross that threshold, people will start redoing their models and realize that you're going to be a much more lucrative and recurring business, much steadier. Now, you do have this great uh, slide in your deck where you talk about how some companies are unscalable, ungoverned, and incomplete, and other companies are expensive, slow, and restrictive. The expensive, we've got Dell, we have SAP, the unscalable, we've got companies like Azure, AWS Glue. Now, some of these companies you actually work with. But it, it, they're cumbersome versus what your proposition is? Well, what, I wouldn't really characterize Azure as cumbersome in any way. Okay. What, we're, what we're really trying to say is that for complex enterprise requirements, um, there are only a couple of companies that can solve those kind of solutions. And you know, if, you, if you're a Domino's and you have thousands of franchisees in, a, in every company, a country around the world and you need to pull data from all those systems, blend it together, clean it up, there's only a few companies in the world that can solve those problems. That's what we can do. And you're not going to get it from, you know, one of the cloud companies as one of the built-in solutions. Now, the cloud companies are our partners. And so just to be clear, we do a lot of business with Azure. We do a lot of business with Amazon. We do a lot of business with Google. Um, but in terms of solving those complex data problems... They're not one of the companies that are going to help you solve that. That's where we have such a great partnership with them. Right. That's because I figured that they would come to you if someone needed. They went. Someone went to them and said, "Listen, we're having a problem with the data." They would call Talon, say, "Listen, help this guy." Exactly. That's exactly, and that's why it's such a win-win because when we solve those data problems for them, it drives more compute and more consumption on the cloud, and so that's a win-win. And they. They actively look for helping, uh, bring us in to help them solve those problems. Well, I'm so glad we came to you before you get to 75%, 80%, because what happens then the stock doubles. I've seen it too many times. So we're hitting you at a very good time. Mike Dukin, CEO of Talon, right at the cost of when you have to own the stock. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Jim. May have money's back yet. It is time! It's time for the lightning round! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Steve? That is time for the lightning round! Let's start with Frank and Michigan. Frank! Hi, Jim. Uh, this is Frank's mom, and my son has a question for you, so sure. here he is. 
Hi, Mr. Kramer. Thanks very much for taking my call. It's an honor to speak with you. I'm nine years old, and my stock is Enphase. I bought it at $20 a share, and since then, it's gone up 67%. I don't know what... I don't want to sell any of it because it just keeps going up, kind of like Beyond Meat used to do. Mr. Kramer, should I sell some of my Enphase, or should I just keep writing it up? making my stocks? That kid is fabulous. Frank's got genuine horse sense. And that's why Frank's going to sell half of Enphase, because it's up way too much, given its solar roots. And then he can let the rest run. And yes, Beyond Meat, Impossible, Impossible Burger is going to have a $5 billion valuation. So everything, Fra- Frank speaks truth to power. He speaks truth to power. All right, let's go to Jason in New York. Jason. Hey, Jim. Big fan of the show. Thanks for taking my call. Ah, uh, thanks, buddy. Hey, the name of the stock I'm calling you about today is Fortinet, FTNT. What do you think? I like Fortinet. I think there's better. I think Group Point's better. I think that CyberArk's better. Uh, I think Semantic's better. So there's a bunch that I think are better. Uh, let's go to David in Illinois. David. Jim, opinion of Equity Commonwealth, EQC. Um, you know, it's got, it's up a lot. It's, uh, it's a REIT. I, I think that maybe it's time. I would not buy it up here. It's had too big a move. I'm sorry. Let's go to Gene in Florida. Gene. Yes. You're up, Gene. It's Jim. Hi, Jim. Hi. I watch your show pretty consistently. Oh, thank you. I bought FPL and dividend reinvested 40 years ago. Why is next year energy going up? Nobody can tell me. It's the only real growth utility that any of us follow. It's an aggressive grower. It's fantastic. And if you own it, you hold it. Florida Power and Light. Holy cow, FPL. But uh, next there is a very good stock. Let's go to Brenda in North Carolina. Brenda. Good evening, Jim. Brenda in North Carolina. Uh, my husband and I watch your program every week and have oh, learned a lot from you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, I, you're welcome. My question is, we purchased some General Mills stock a couple of years ago, and it did not do well for a while, but has picked up lately. Would General Mills be a good long-term investment to hold during every I would hold it because General Mills is becoming, and this is why it moved up from the 40s, much more natural organic than its foes. And I think it's really working. It's taken a long time to get the uh, that program down, but they have got it down. And I want you to hold on at, 50, at 54, maybe buy some lower. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. What do we make of the oil stocks here? Lately, we've been inundated with buy recommendations in the oil patch. Analysts can't seem to resist the stock of, say, ExxonMobil, with its phenomenal and highly unusual 5% yield. Historically, Exxon stock has always been at such a premium to the rest of the market that the yield's been smaller than the group. Not anymore. It's tough to resist Chevron when its big projects are hitting pay dirt and CEO Mike Worth trying to get into the permit on the cheap, right? BP, major with the best yield, nearly 7%, has been a terrible holding. As we know all too well from my charitable trust, which you can follow by joining the ActionLordsPlus.com club. See, there's just one teensy weeny problem with these buy recommendations. They're not working. If you bought any of these recommendations, you're most likely 
down underwater. Even if the border market is way up. How is that even possible? Iran's being boxed out of the oil market. It's, it's two million barrels taken off. Venezuela's falling apart. There's another million taken off. No international producers save Saudi Arabia are spending enough to keep the production stable. This should be a fabulous time to own oil stocks. The group has just been mercilessly hammered. You can now get the best of the best of the best of oil service companies, Slumberger, with an unheard of 6% yield. And the company's swearing by the dividend. There are a couple of things going on here. First, the oil stocks have become pariahs. President Trump just took to Twitter to pummel Ford Motor for caving into California's higher emission standards. Even the automakers have given up on fighting for fossil fuels. Second, perhaps more important, we got way too much supply around the world, and that's why nobody's, some of these international companies aren't bothering to drill a lot. The United States is pumping far more oil than we expected, with the Permian Basin leading the way. We now produce 12 million barrels a day, and we could soon be producing 17 million. Thank you, uh, Mr. Sheffield from Pioneer Drilling, telling us that. Two years ago, we were only doing 9 million. We've got to export this place. We don't have any place to put it. Third, the actual oil stocks aren't showing any lift because the oil companies are being disciplined. They're not producing more crude than they should. Given the weak balance sheets, I think many of them are too dangerous to own anyway. Fourth, it's not just oil. America's producing an immense amount of natural gas, and we have nowhere to put that stuff either. We're shipping about 6 billion cubic feet of equivalent out of the Louisiana docks. The world loves our liquefied natural gas, but because it takes years to build an export terminal, we still don't have enough capacity to rid ourselves of the glut. Fifth, with the oil stocks this week, you might expect a bunch of this. Yeah, really, they're so damn. Wouldn't you expect a bunch of mergers? But they just aren't happening. That's because Occidental paid way too much for Anadarko, and nobody wants to repeat their mistake. Finally, the investment bankers brought a ton of pipelines and oil names this year, uh, brought them public, and we got no room and no appetite for those either. This group is simply terrible. It's a true house of pain. I think you got to skip it. As long as we're awash in oil, the price of crude will stay stuck in the 50s, and the oil stocks aren't going anywhere, except maybe down. Stick with Kramer. Sad to see uh, Dion Weissler leave from HP, uh, HPQ. I think he did a fantastic job. We want to wish him well. Really a fabulous executive retiring tonight for some uh, family reasons. Uh, one of the gems in this business. And I like to point out sometimes, even though I say it's not about friends, it's about money. Periodically, there's just some really great guys who did some great things. He's one of them. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.